From Daylight, I'm Kazuki Akiba. I'm Brandon Beiser. And this is Sound Eye Baseball. This is a podcast where you and I find unseen baseball gems by analyzing them alongside different trends, news, and motivation behind many moves around the league today. Hi, Justin. It's good. Thanks for joining us. I'm here to represent the uh, Forbes softball team strictly. That's fine. We, we can talk Forbes softball. We always interject. Uh, well, thanks for coming. So we are recording. So I, I guess I could actually introduce myself at start. Uh, Kazuki, the co-host, my other co- the co-host, the originator of this podcast, is can join us soon, too, on the talking line. Well, it's great to have you. So welcome, everyone. Welcome to a very... Good, very pleasant good evening to all. This is Sayonara Baseball. I mean, I mean there's no other way to start. It's been, been Scully week. We lost the legend this week. And we're, we're going to do as he would do. We're going to tell some stories. We're going to look at the games ahead. We're, we're going to talk about quite the week in baseball. But actually, it's more like quite the night in baseball. So, Justin, I'll, I'll, I'll introduce our first speaker, along with Kazuki and myself. We have Justin Birnbaum. How, how can I introduce you, sir? Sports money reporter for uh, Forbes magazine? Go with uh, that. That is, that is one way to say it. I prefer uh, or, the Forbes okay. softball team. Or captain of the aforementioned Forbes softball team, yes. All right. So the reason why we really wanted to schedule this for tonight was we are looking forward to a very interesting game tonight, which is well, actually two. You have the early, in the early quote-unquote window, is Yankees at the Cardinals. Interleague matchup happens every five, four or five years. Back half is you have the game that now everybody is looking at on their calendars or every time it happens, which is Padres-Dodgers. So we'll start with Yankees-Cardinals. And my, 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 I'm just curious off the top, when you see that matchup come down the schedule, especially now, what's your first thought? Like, what, what are you looking for out of those two teams considering now that the Cardinals are in striking distance of the Brewers and the Yankees, well, they just lost two to the Mariners. I mean, for me, it's all about, you know, how good and how long can you be that good? I mean, the Yankees, the whole season, the narrative has been that this team is amazing and they're going to chase the wins record, but um, it does feel like things are finally slowing down. And, um, you know, you don't want to run into good teams at this point in the schedule. You want to play the Miami Marlins of the world, the Washington Nationals of the world. Um, not that the Yankees are, but I, I put this all in Mets terms because that's that's the team I'm focused on personally. But well, well, we'll get to the Mets because right now the Mets are Mets are in trouble. <laughs> we, we don't have to talk <laughs> about that game, but no, we'll, we'll um, talk we'll talk about the team that you the Phillies game where that I just watched the beginning of that game. That is whew, that's an interesting one. But you're right. the The question with the Yankees is how long can they do what they've been doing because. The Dodgers are doing it too. And unlike your friends in, um, in uh, unlike the Mets, there's not really a bad team on the AL East this year. Like there's no divisional opponent you can kind of walk through. In the, uh, in the sorry, I'm going to jump in. Uh, hi, guys. My, Hi, Kazuki. Uh, my microphone finally works. I would argue the Red Sox is on a decline. I know Heim Bloom has been doing a little bit of a retooling there was uh, trading off of Vasquez, but I still think the talent level wise, I think it's on the down considering 
you might lose Xander Bogarts and like uh, Rafael Devers as well. And obviously JDM, he's going to be um, leaving too. So offensively, they're a bit in trouble, but they're starting to like restock it. But they're not there like the Yankees or the, I mean, the Rays are also kind of crippled as well. And Blue Jays, that's an X factor where we're not sure if they're going to be hot or cold. Don't tell that to Hank, Brandon. <laughs> uh, is Hank a Red Sox fan? He's he originally grew up in Boston, so before he uh, made his way down to North Carolina, he he, he he's not like a, he's not all blue. Everything he's like only team, only teams that have blue colors. Uh, you know, you'd think so because uh, his wardrobe is is very Duke themed. But no, he's uh, very dedicated to the Red Sox. He's actually my roommate, so there's a lot of uh, Red Sox memorabilia around the apartment, and cups and stuff, and. Uh, well, and what? We've watched a fair amount of Red Sox games throughout the year, so yeah, well, I, can, I can attest to his diehardness. Well, uh, okay, let's get let's get back to this your, your concept of the Yankees, Cardinals, because like you said, how good can they go? So let's I'm going to run down quickly. The Yankees have put their starting lineup out, so it's Lemayhew, Judge, Carpenter, Torres, Donaldson, Benintendi, Connor Falefa, Trevino, Trevino, and um, Aaron Hicks. So the lineup that we all expect now. This is what I would expect, barring. Well, Rizzo coming back and then Giancarlo Stanton. This lineup they're going to put every day. This lineup they mm. should put out literally every day. Uh, and the the person that I, I have to laugh and, and hoot and holler at is the fact that the number three hitter is Matt Carpenter, um, who's going home tonight to play against the Cardinals. Uh, he's done that before, I presume, when he was on a couple other teams after the success with the Cardinals. But that's just, it's, it's, it's interesting to watch a guy who literally was a minor league, just has been for several teams, is the number three hitter on the, what best team in baseball right now? Um, I mean, is it laughable? I mean, you know, Miley Kessman or not? Like, he's, oh, he's he's an all star. He's a four, he's, he's a perennial all star. He's having he's having an incredible year though. Like, I mean, whatever whatever struggles he's having, he's clearly exercised all the demons here and has found you know what made him such a good player in St. Louis for all those years. I mean, yeah, like you have to wonder. I mean, he he's what. 34, 35 years old at this point, maybe a little older than that, actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be weird if, you know, they picked him up a month ago and all of a sudden Matt Carpenter's the three hitter, but whatever struggles he's had, he's corrected and he's found, I mean, granted, I mean, any left-handed batter can home run a Yankee stadium. Right. But, um, you know, he's a big reason why they're this good. And sometimes guys fall out of it permanently. And sometimes guys, you know, ultimately figure it out and he's figured it out. So, I mean, yeah, little bit of an asterisk there but you know you're yeah but you're right uh, it, it's it's been impressive to have him in the lineup on a regular basis and we'll quickly go through the cardinals lineup because the cardinals lineup again actually is, um i know uh smith is actually in this chat uh he actually does a lot of analysis talent analysis i kind of want to hear his thoughts on matt carpenter's uh, revival oh yeah welcome smith brickner for our listeners smith was a guest in 2021 uh so we're glad to have him back so smith welcome to the show and like, like Kazuki's question, like, what do you think of Matt Carpenter and being as successful and like as important as he has been in 2022? If he is ready to join us, he might not be quite ready yet. I may have jumped the gun on Smith. Tamiki. What's up, guys? Sorry, I was trying to get out. Uh, how you doing? What's going on, guys? That's, so Matt Carpenter, it's, we're, we're fi- putting, you in the, putting you right right up against it. Matt Car- we're talking about Matt Carpenter and, and like... He was like a washed up, he was supposedly the washed up player. And now he is like an integral piece batting third on the best human baseball, which I think is kind of impressive for a guy that people thought was kind of washed up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, is, is 
Is that true? Is, is, was he really that washed up? That's what I think we're thinking about right now. So, I think he was, but, you know, this is the beauty of modern-day player development is that it's not only geared towards players that are on the upswing of their career, but it can continue the career of someone that might otherwise be out of the league. And the perfect example of this is Matt Carpenter. So one of the things that he did was he went to a bunch of different uh, swing coaches, similar to the way that Justin Turner did, but he was at the crux of his career after being DFA'd by the Mets and I think the Pirates at one point. And there's a few other players like J.D. Martinez did it before he went to the Tigers. Mookie Betts did it. He was already pretty good, but became elite after that. So went to a bunch of different swing coaches, basically shortened his swing while also becoming a little bit more vertical at the swing. And a lot of the forward-thinking teams now are using bat tracking data to track bat speed, attack angle, how long your barrel's in the strike zone. And so Carpenter was opening some eyes with some of those key performance metrics um, and a lot of that was captured through a new system called Hawkeye that a lot of teams are now incorporating. So, you know, a lot of the best baseball teams throw out these stigmas that you have about players and really just focus on what they see in the here and the now. And the Matt Carpenter from early 2022 in spring training and in Triple A Round Rock was vastly different from the 2021 Matt Carpenter with the Cardinals. So I think the Yankees, given where they were when they signed him, just made sense to at least have him for the two weeks that Don Carlo was out. And obviously a lot of that bat tracking stuff, that data was sticky. And, and that's largely the case. Uh, the bat tracking data is sticky. If you swing the bat hard, you're probably not going to stop swinging the bat hard. If you have the barrel in the strike zone for a long time, you're probably going to keep the barrel in the strike zone, uh, bearing some drastic change to your swing. Uh, so the Yankees and Rays, Dodgers, I guess the Red Sox are getting there. Some of those teams are really good at incorporating all those statistics into their CI reports for players. And you're really seeing that materialize with Matt Carpenter. So this year, absolutely, he's a number three caliber hitter. And that's what really matters. It doesn't matter what he's done in the past. And the Yankees are really good at understanding what the player is in the here and the now. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like I said, number three hitter for a guy who everyone thought was quote unquote washed up, got some, got some help where he needed it to. When you say Hawkeye, do you mean the same technology they use for like at tennis matches? Yes. So they started adding that. I believe it was last year. And just from talking to people in the industry, the data itself is great. There's a lot of maintenance issues with it, though. But it, it captures so many more data points than TrackMan did. Because what people don't understand is TrackMan is a radar-based technology. Hawkeye is camera-based. So there's a lot more that you can capture through AI technology. So you get more accurate readings on how fast the player is going. You can get an idea of how fast the bat path is. And the frame rates on these cameras that Hawkeye is utilizing is some of the best available in the world. So you're getting absolute best frame rate on all these cameras, which means you're getting hyperactive and hyperaccurate 
data points for all these different things that we weren't able to track before with TrackMan. Um, so Matt Carpenter is really one of the biggest beneficiaries of this new technology that allows teams to identify major profile changes in a player. So it's, it, it is from tennis originally, but I believe that baseball is actually their biggest source of revenue now. That's great. No, that's really cool. And uh, to continue on with the, the game, they put the lineup for the, the Cardinals, obviously, is out. So it's Carlson, Edmund, Goldschmidt, Arenado, Pujols. Wow, that sounds really good. Tyler O'Neill, Paul DeYoung, Yadier Molina, and then Newt Barr finishing out batting ninth. Uh, Paul DeYoung just came back from injury, so that's a nice boost for them. And then again, I, 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 every time I see Daniel Carlson in the lineup since Tuesday, I have to like, you know, smile a little bit because everyone thought he'd be traded. I mean, the, the whole Soto trade for St. Louis centered on whether or not they would get rid of Daniel Carlson. They obviously said no. And Soto obviously now with the Padres and they gave up hell in a handbasket for him. Uh, could, so. you, could you ever imagine Dylan Carlson being the ultimate reason why you don't trade for Juan Soto? Like that, if that's like, if you recall like what that trade offer was, the Cardinals could have very easily beaten this because the Nationals clearly wanted major league pieces. And I think there's a consensus around the league that Carlson and Gorman would have been a better package in the Nationals' eyes than Abrams and Gore. Abrams is probably the best player of those four players, but there are some real concerns with Gore where I think Gorman is probably going to be at least an above average regular, probably several time all-star, not like a star player, but a good player. And Carlson has shown that he can be good in the past. I'm just shocked that the Cardinals didn't feel the need to beat that offer because they very easily could have. And frankly, the fact that he went for the prospects he did, I know there's a lot of people saying that they got a really good prospect haul, but honestly, I, I think pretty much every other team that was in the mix, the Yankees, the Rangers, the Mets probably would have been shut out anyway because they didn't want to trade in division, but I mean, every team that was in could have probably beaten that. And I think that's the biggest issue with that Soto trade is I'm not denying it's, it's a lot of prospects that I like, but is that really the best you could have done? Like this whole thing just felt rushed. And I think the Cardinals are one of the biggest losers from this because I absolutely think they could have beaten this offer in the offseason and perhaps there's more time to scout the system for the Nationals. I think that probably helps them because they have such a deep farm. Whereas the Padres, you know exactly the prospects they have. You know, they have a very top-heavy farm system. So, yeah, it, it's kind of incredible to think, like, what would be if Dylan Carlson was not in this lineup? Well, it's kind of nuts. Yeah, so like I said, they, and then, well, obviously, the, the back half of this is tomorrow night, Jordan Montgomery will face his former team. Jordan Montgomery obviously traded from the Yankees to the Cardinals for Harrison Bader, Bader being injured. So it's kind of like a, a loose swap there. But tomorrow night, we're, go, we're going to see Jordan Montgomery go against his former team on national TV. Great, great, great cinema on that one. Um, my, my one question with the Yankees and Cardinals series is, uh, has anyone 
Can anyone explain to me why Frankie Montas is not pitching yet? Is there, is there, am, I, am I missing something very obvious? And please tell me if I am. Is he pitching, is he pitching Sunday? Is, if he's pitching Sunday, then I, again, missed something very obvious. Um, let me double check. He's sure pitching Sunday. He is pitching on Sunday. Okay, so Frankie Montas against Adam Wainwright. Ooh, what a battle that is. Uh, and that's Sunday at 2.15 Eastern, 1.15 local. That's a good matchup. So that, there they go. And then Lou Trevino. Uh, I, I am of the belief that Trevino was a more important piece than they, as an over, was an undervalued piece with more importance of that deal because the Yankees bullpen is just a little bit not, it's just a little bit rough right now. And now they have all the pieces to kind of do what they did in the nineties and early two thousands, where you have like starters go six, you have a seven guy, you have an eight guy, we have a nine guy, and then we can just kind of like carry it on. Um, so I think that's good. Giving up JP Sears was uh, was tough though. Yeah, I mean Sears is this penultimate control over stuff guy, and I don't know why the A's have this fascination with this kind of pitcher, but they do. Um, this is this just kind of scream that trade that whole trade kind of screamed. We got forty two years of club control over six, whatever that famous quote was from Ross Atkins a couple of years back. Um, it's just like Luis Medina is probably a reliever. He probably is Lou Trevino having a really good season. That's the outcome from Medina. Sears is probably not going to be Frankie Montas. What was the rest of that trade again? It's like evading me right now. I, I forget it too. Uh, just, just so everyone's so I'm, I'm looking in on Philly's Nationals and the Phillies hit another home run off Josiah Gray. So that's four home runs off Gray in two and a third. Uh, it's six nothing Phillies. Uh, Justin, I'm going to spare you the score of the Mets uh, Braves game because it's worse. Uh, You're too kind. Then, <laughs> uh, so Braves are up on them. Uh, I'll save that one. But the, the Astros are being the Guardians six one. So Every it's pretty much in the Tigers being the race three zero, so a lot going on there. Yeah. Uh, um, I found the uh, trade what the, what the A's received. I mean, you guys named it Sears and Medina. There's Bowman, uh, the second baseman, right? The left hander yeah. Ken Wadochick. Yeah, Waldenchuk is actually the best prospect in that deal. Just from what I saw out of him, and I think what a lot of people I talked to in the industry. A lot of people are probably going to say, oh, Luis Medina's best prospect from that deal. That's just from name recognition, the fact that he throws 100. Walden Chuck checks a lot of boxes for teams that are very analytical. Like, he's got really good movement profiles on all his pitches. He gets lots of swings and misses. Um, and he comes at you from, like, kind of an interesting arm path to, to the plate. So it's, it's not a comfortable at bat for the hitters. So I think he's actually got the best chance to be the most valuable piece in that deal. But I don't know. Like, it just felt really light compared to the return that the Reds got for Castillo. And both Montas and Castillo are controllable through next year. Montas is... I don't think people appreciate just how close the talent level is between Montas and and Castillo. It's really close. And I think the only reason that people have Montas and notch down. It's just because he was on the athletics on the West coast. Like, I really think that's what it comes down to. So the Yankees did very good for themselves there. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, going back to the Montgomery trade, it, what Cashman said in his press conference that I thought was really interesting because he's never usually this candid. He was saying that there were multiple other trades that they were working on that were going to be in conjunction with this trade. Now, I have to believe that knowing Cashman, I can't imagine that he just whiffed on making those deals. They're probably deals that would have benefited the team long-term, so perhaps they're trades that can take place in the off-season, right? So you're kind of finishing out your trade deadline in the off-season, which is a bit odd, but that's the impression so I got. Actually, this, this, this is uh, what I heard from a couple of presses. Um, they were supposed to go for Pablo Lopez of the Marlins, but that deal fell apart because ownership pulled back. So they weren't able to get in the last hour. Well, well, Kazuki, you're 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 kind of leading me into what's happening right now. And we always know Pablo Lopez ended up being traded to the Twins. Uh, and the Twins game is about to get underway right now. And the Twins are facing the Blue Jays, which is ooh, big game right there. Um, I'm trying to look up the lot. I'm trying to see who's in right now for. So it's in Minneapolis. Whit Merrifield is leading off for the uh, his new team, Toronto Blue Jays, uh, and then they got that lineup. Is just about that. <laughs> I think apparently it was several weeks ago. He just obviously in between the game in where he would have been able eligible in, he knew he was getting traded. That's what he basically said in his press conference. But we leave we leave him for what it is. But that team is. Uh, Loaded Toronto now, and ter- uh, Toronto's got that one thing. Uh, the the star of that team, in my opinion, is still Alejandro Kirk. If, if when and if he plays, he is quite the player. And then Minnesota, obviously, right, getting Tyler Molly, who's starting tonight. He is starting tonight, and Pablo Lopez. They basically got the front and end of their bullpen. You mean Jorge Lopez? Or, yeah, it's Jorge Lopez. That's from the Orioles. I was talking about the starting pitcher, Pablo Lopez, who didn't get traded. Oh, Paulo Lopez didn't get traded. Okay. Jorge Lopez, sorry. Jorge Lopez did get traded. Paulo Lopez did not get traded. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think the Blue Jays are probably going to get the third spot in the wild card, but I mean, I really don't understand why they didn't go harder after Montas. Like that trade package the Yankees gave up was. All in all, like really underwhelming compared to the Castillo trade again, like I said before. I just I can't for the life of me understand why the Blue Jays didn't match that. And they absolutely could have. I don't understand why they weren't in as much a, on Castillo. Like that pitching staff is really problematic. They've got Manoa. That's that's great, but Ryu's hurt. Barrios is has just been awful. Like, who are you going to besides Manoa to lead that pitching staff? Because, like, you're kind of at that point where you might lose games like eight to seven with that team. Well, you're supposed to have Kevin Gossman, who's supposed to be your, supposed yeah, to be your guy. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's true. You're right. Gossman and, 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 and Ross Stripling. Yeah, uh, I, I, and our uh, good friend uh, Yusei Kikuchi, who you say Kikuchi, get out of fourth inning. Yeah, so, that's right. So like they're they're relying on on Stripling, who's probably a long reliever in the long run, and then Kikuchi. Like we have to go after another pitcher, and like 
I think that's just a big whiff on their part. Like, would like how much more value would a pitcher have had on this team versus a Whit Merrifield who's not going to be playing every day? Well, Whit Merrifield is basically their George Springer substitute. But we 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 have we have rent we have entered what I have to what Kazuki and I both know is former Mariner talk. So. Justin, it's it's your time to shine now. You have a former Mariner who is two or, or at least one who's doing very well, one who did not do so well tonight, uh, and that's Edwin Diaz. Uh, um, and the, the trumpets are won't be playing tonight, it looks like. But what's it like to to watch Edwin Diaz come in the last couple of games and be like the star of your team? Uh, I mean, that that is a pretty impressive thing because after all that, that entire trade basically fell apart. Every other player has been terrible, except Edwin Diaz. It seems like now. Okay, so I'm glad you injected that important context there because I think a lot of us are still struggling to shake the initial thought from that trade, which is now three years ago, I believe. And Correct. I just, I just can't imagine what was going through Brody Van Wagen's mind when, when he said we're going to trade our, you know, essentially our top prospect. I forget what Jared Kelnick was ranked at the time for Robinson Cano. Oh, and hey, we'll get this reliever too. And now he looks like, you know, he is clairvoyance because Edwin Diaz has obviously become an all-world type closer. And Jared Kalanick has struggled. Robinson Cano obviously didn't pan out. And I, Justice, I, I, Justice Sheffield is part of that deal. And he's been... No, 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 uh, so, no, no Justin, Justin Dunn. Dunn. Justin Dunn. Justin yeah. Dunn. That's right. Yeah, but okay. he, was always, he was always on the fringe. Um, I didn't think he would be too much of a difference maker anyways. But all this to say is that everybody loves a good redemption story. And I, you know, Kalanick, you know, he had a home run at Yankee Stadium the other day, so maybe he's starting to get going too. But I think with how good Edwin Diaz has been this year, he's just turned the entire fan base around on him. I mean, maybe, you know, with a little help of some good music choices as well. But, I mean, ultimately, you know, you're always just going to really wonder how a super reliever impacts the game more than any other position. And for the Mets this year, it's proven to be one of their most important things. I'm happy for Edwin Diaz. I've enjoyed watching him. I mean, I love seeing him unhittable. I mean, I still have the skepticism in the back of my mind, like every Met fan. Um, you know, when when is it going to crack? When is when is the other shoe going to drop? But in my mind, also, you know, Brody Van Wagen's a little vindicated when it comes to that. Um, I, it, it seems like you know he really knew what he was doing when he was going out and getting a super reliever. I think it just goes back to he didn't really have the team for it at the time. You know, a super reliever makes a contending playoff team very strong. You know, a team in the middle of the rebuild, not so much. So um, on behalf of the Mets fan base, we apologize to Brody Van Wagen. Oh, that's, that's strong words. Gave him one okay. fire pass. You know, the thing is, is like, I don't want to sit and evaluate every single one of his, every single move in his tenure. But that was kind of the, the centerpiece to everything. And in the end, you know, again, now it's really not looking like a bad trade. I mean, the Cano thing was awful, and thank and thankfully Steve Cohen ate the bit the bullet and pay up salary and got him off the team. But you know, Edwin Diaz has been worth a top prospect this year, and you know, it's we've been waiting for this to come around. So I mean, if, I, if I'm just talking about strictly, you know, this one trade, then I owe an apology for criticizing it because I never believed in Edwin Diaz until this year, and now I fully believe in Edwin Diaz. So it, to answer your question, it has been fantastic to see. The Mets have a closer, the likes that they have not seen since Billy Wagner. And uh, I hope he can keep it up and that they don't overwork him and that it carries through into the playoffs. Well, the, the Mets have now scored a run. They got a, on a bases loaded single, they got a run in, but they got, they got another player out of the plate. Michael Harris gunned him down. Something uh, like Cora sending a runner down 8 1. 
yeah. I, mean, I mean, they should have another. I mean, Ronald Acuna jumped over the fence and took one away from Pete Alonso. So, well, um, uh, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, the Yankees broadcast is about to start. Uh, there, uh, Dakota Hudson, uh, a starting pitcher of the Cardinals, warming up right now uh, to face off the Yankees. Against um, Nestor Cortez, who has been a, a bright spot. But I want to go back to to Justin as our as another again. I think we have multiple Mets fans here, and I am not a Mets fan. I am not a Mets follower though. Uh, the the trade that I again former Mariner talk Daniel Vogelbach. You got Vogie bombs now landing out in Queens. Uh, he had a grand slam in Washington. He had a home run the other night in uh, the series opener against Atlanta. Uh, the 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 the, the National League DH rule is real special now because you get to have a player like Daniel Vogelbach who's going to play every game or can play most games. When he was in the Mariners, I mean, he played, but we had to, he was our first baseman or DH and that was what we had. But now that he actually has like a supporting cast that's really good, I mean, you just put him up there as a pinch hitter or later in the lineup and he just hits dingers. That's all he's good for. I mean, I'm not sure he gets on base that much. I think he hits home runs. Uh, I mean, somewhere far away, I'm sure Daniel Murphy is watching and ruining the day that the National League DH didn't come around a decade earlier and help. Oh, that's that's true. I mean, I, I vividly remember watching Daniel Murphy's first few uh, games with the Mets, and not 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 as quite literal few, but that first season. And uh, they tried some very creative things to get him in the lineup because his bat was so good. And uh, let's just say it was an adventure out there in the outfield. And it cost, yes. him, cost him a few games. And Daniel Murphy eventually proved to be this otherworldly hitter that, you know, had seven home runs in the postseason or whatever it was when the Mets went to the World Series in 2015 and continued to have a strong performance with the Nationals thereafter. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the National League of Old is not a place where a Daniel Vogelback comes to thrive, you know. I mean... He is, uh, I guess, you know, like the poor, the very, very poor man's David Ortiz. You know, you just can't put him in the field and he can hit. So, right. I mean, I think he's been a little otherworldly since he arrived in the Mets. And I don't expect that to continue. But, yeah. I mean, given that we are a team, and not we, as in like I'm a part of the team, but the Mets are a team that lack a DH and they went out and they Frankenstein together, Daniel Vogelbach and Darren Ruff, who um, obviously we haven't really got the chance to see yet. You know, I, I guess it works. I mean, if a move's not there, you can't make it. And obviously, with how well Volkenbach has played, I, I guess, you know, Billy Epler's kind of justified in that. But, I mean, the guy can flat out hit bombs. And uh, the Mets need that kind of power right now. And if he can stay hot and be valuable for a playoff team, I mean, anybody, it's, it's baseball. If anybody gets hot long enough, you know, they can do special things. We saw that with many players over the course of many years. And I think, uh, it's a very welcome sight in Queens right now. That's, I mean, like I said, and to Kazuki's point, uh, the Central Time Zone game just started off. So we have Texas hosting, Minnesota hosting, Kansas City is hosting the Red Sox, and St. Louis obviously hosting New York, and then Milwaukee and Cincinnati has yet to come up. Oh, Matt Carpenter is getting a standing ovation uh, as he takes the field, as he takes, as he goes up to bat here in. Um, in St. Louis, which is, I mean, last night we had Eric Hosmer returning for the first time in Kansas City since he got traded. Uh, but I mean, Yadier Molina just bat him on the helmet, which is just peak Yadi, just so you know. And I'm hoping uh, you're watching this um, Prime video. Uh, Kazuki, shameless self promotion. 
Uh, I am watching it on Prime Video because in New York, that is the only local broadcast right now is Prime Video. Uh, we're not going to comment on that because it's just a little bit, but it, they call it the Yes broadcast on Prime Video. I will say that on Amazon, on the Amazon app, they call it, this is being broadcasted by Yes, which is quite interesting uh, when you see that. But it's, like I said, it's kind of cool that, you know, Michael K has a Prime Video microphone on, in front of his hand right now uh, when he's calling this game. Well, it's technically, I could go into details of the production because I know how it goes, but it's basically an agreement where Amazon Prime Video himself is acting, yes, asking the Yes Network to produce the games for us. And, uh, and, and obviously, Murray Donahue, the head of the sports uh, department here at Amazon, you know, is partial, like, you know, board member. So I think that's part of the reason why we have this uh, Yes, you know, Yankees game on Prime uh, today. And it's going to go on until 2026, if I remember correctly. Right. And and for our listeners, uh, out in, in the New York area, the Yankees used to have a weekly broadcast on the CW called WPIX here. And that has now transitioned to this, where it's now on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, the Mets still have the WPIX games on uh, broadcast television, I believe once a week or almost once a week for the season. So that's an interesting dynamic. Uh, in Philadelphia, at random times, they have games on NBC, local NBC on Saturdays, uh, because there's nothing else on TV, uh, except, you know, when it runs over, it interrupts Saturday Night Live, which has not gone over well with the population in the Philadelphia broadcasting area. Uh, but so I want to look ahead a little bit to the late games while I have a chance as the other games get started. Obviously, San Diego is playing Los Angeles. That is the game where... The pregame is going to be emotional. It's the first game back since Vince Scully has passed away. Uh, and that is going to be a, a heavy 15 to 18 minutes when that game gets underway. But obviously, this is what San Diego traded for. San Diego traded for the farm on several players to get the team that's going to face the Dodgers, hopefully, what, 10, 12 more times this year? So they're running out Profar, Soto, Machado, Josh Bell, Jake Cronenworth, Brandon Jewelry, Trent Grisham, Alfaro, and Ha-Sung Kim, who I thought would get traded. Kazuki and I both thought Ha-Sung Kim would get traded uh, because he's going to be worthless in this lineup very quickly uh, when um, Fernando Tatis Jr. comes back. But does Drury play shortstop or does he only play third? He's a, a utility infielder. He played second and third. I remember the time when the uh, Yankees traded for him uh, from the uh, Diamondbacks. He was pretty much swapping between those two positions, but I think his strength is uh, third base more than second base, but I don't think I don't have that scanning report on him, but I'm just amazed that his uh, year this year was hitting. He always had the ability to hit, but not this like all-star level hitting. So um, we'll be interesting to see uh, how that will go. Former Matt, I think the best way to explain, explain Brendan Jury's defensive prowess is he can stand in a few positions. Yeah, that's important. I mean, the, that team in particular seems to always want to rotate their infield a lot. Um, the, I have a question for the, for the group here. Is Josh Bell a big upgrade over to Eric Cosmer? Is that a significant upgrade? Yes. <laughs> yes. Josh Bell is basically just having a better Eric Cosmer season. Okay. Okay. That's fair you enough. Know, like, okay. It's a very BAPIP-driven season for him. Is that sustainable? Maybe, maybe, but I never like right. investing in the players that have high staffers with no real like power or 
pigs the below or barrel rate change. You know, we'll see. We'll see. It, 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 he's he's the worst hitter in that lineup, which means the very well maybe Hassan Kim. But when Tatis comes back, he will be the worst hitter in that lineup, which is a good problem to have. Yeah. So in the Dodgers, so the Dodgers are that real quick. Dodgers are rolling out. Betts, Turner, Freeman, Smith, Taylor, oh, Alberto at third, Vargas. Oh, he's brand new, brand, brand new. We got a new brand, brand new player there. Trace Thompson and left and Cody Bellinger. So that's a big lineup. Uh, Dodgers only make significant moves at the trade deadline. Obviously they acquired one player, former Yankee, Joey Gallo, who had no place in that team. Uh, once they got Andrew Benintendi. Uh, so it makes relative sense that he is now gone and he was having a really a bad time with the Yankees in general. I read a stat somewhere that he batted, he's batted under 200 since he was acquired last year, uh, which makes perfect sense why they would just, you know, toss him aside. Uh, maybe he'll play what 30 games, 40 games with the Dodgers. If anything, I think he'll start maybe 30 games at most. Uh, I don't see a whole lot there because they have, you know, every other player to play out there, uh, especially that new player Vargas. And then uh, James Outman, the guy, how oh, I got his name right, came up recently and put home run in his first game against Colorado. Obviously great park to play it in, but that, that team is obviously we knew they were, they were great. And, but this is, like I said, this is the matchup of the, of the season. Now it kind of was a little bit last year, but now every person is going to tune into a game between the, the, the Padres and the Dodgers the rest of the year. Like you have to as, as a baseball fan, because it's, it's the team that the Dodgers want. The Padres want to be the Dodgers and the Dodgers, are obviously the Dodgers. So I think that's going to be quite the series. This game, that game gets underway at 10, 10 Eastern, seven, 10 local, obviously with the Finn Scully tribute starting about 15 minutes beforehand. Uh, Smith as our, as our resident prospect expert, is there, what should we know about Vargas? Or if you know anything about him, and the new young players coming up for the Dodgers that have made a couple plays recently. Yeah. So Vargas is uh, the perfect Dodgers prospect. What I, what do I mean by that? Basically you're not going to realize how great he is until you actually watch him play. Um, he's not a big power guy. I think he's only, he had 15 home runs in AAA this year, which is fine, but it's not like earth-shattering, especially in that boombox environment in AAA right now, especially in the Pacific Coast League. He's about 19% better than the average offensively. And, you know, he's interesting because he can play um, second base. He can play a little bit of shortstop. He's got a little bit of raw pop, but basically the hope is that he hits – you know, 290 walks almost as much as he strikes out. He's, he's a nice player. I don't think he's an impact player. Um, I think he's just going to be one of those rotational players that they utilize. I think he'll probably use, be used similar to how Hanser Alberto is with a little bit more defensive versatility. I know the, the rest of, you know, the, the industry really likes Miguel Vargas. I'm a little bit more lukewarm on him, but I, I think he can be, you know, he, he can be a guy that hits for, you know, 275, 280, and, and maybe gets you 10 to 15 home runs a year. Perfect. All right, Justin, I know you gave me a little warning that you're going to be have to jump in a few little bit. So I want to get your last thoughts about 
kind of, like you said, we'll, we'll have you come on later in the year, talk about the Mets and kind of like what they had. But I, I want to look at the NL East games tonight because it's all divisional. It's mostly divisional games tonight. You have Braves are playing the, the Mets and the, and the Nationals are getting absolutely slaughtered by the Phillies right now. Uh, as you look to the next couple of series and a couple of weeks with that, what, what should we look out for within the, the Mets particularly? And then as you look, as your kind of grand view for the league, what should we, as obviously as someone who looks at the, as, a, as someone who covers sports in general, what should we look for in, against as that kind of, as look for the couple of weeks? Holy hell, really put me on the spot here. Jeez. Um, well, I, I got to give you good, one good, you know, professional quote for, for, our, yeah. for our listeners here. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. My mic went off for a second. Um, the Braves and Phillies were not shy about upgrading at the trade deadline. And uh, no, no, they were not. And I think uh, we're kind of all waiting for the shoe to drop to see if that's going to come through. I Yeah, I think the whole brand, the Brandon Marsh thing was a surprise. Noah Syndergaard was not really a surprise. Uh, but that that's the interesting one that you said. Yeah, I like, mean, the, the Mets obviously have been fortunate. They've been able to play well for most of the season. And I think the key within that is that they've minimized the losing streaks. I mean, any good team is, is not just going to win a lot. They're going to find a ways not to lose, which I guess sounds obvious when I say it. But the point is, is that, you know, baseball is a game of hot and cold streaks. So obviously you want to keep your cold streaks as minimal as possible. To this point, the Mets have done that. But obviously, you know, there's plenty of division games left. They're, they've got this big series against the Braves. They're playing two tomorrow um, in a doubleheader. Scherzer will pitch one. So that'll be a, that'll be a five-game series. That happened, that's happened to Seattle. Seattle played L.A. that way I this mean, year. Out of five-game you know, series. If, if anything short of a split could completely, you know, reshape that division. Because if, hypothetically, if the Braves came in and took four or five or whatever, then, you know, they're, they're making a great case for first. And vice versa, if the Mets win a bunch... They can really kick the Braves down and develop a nice, comfortable lead. Though, as a Mets fan who remembers 2007, there is no lead that I ever believe is safe. Um, the Phillies have been playing well lately. Um, their defensive shortcomings, I thought, would undo them for the entire year. But it seems like maybe there is some method to the madness there. Um, I mean, we'll see. Um, I mean, I would look at the 2014 Detroit Tigers. It's basically almost the exact same team except minus the pitching for the 2014 Tigers was way better than the current Phillies rotation. Who, who's the, who was the GM of that? Dombrowski. Dombrowski. Hey, how about that? Who's obviously, you know, architects that team, but Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously we'll hope you have you back in the future, but I want to, I want to take what Justin said and expand on something. The, the trade to get Brandon Marsh to like, like eviscerate the angels even more. Like the angels are getting utterly just, they, everyone criticized the Angels because, like, how is that team put together? And that team is put together in shambles right now. Like, it is that. Uh, um, I don't think MLB. They are. Yeah. They are. I just, don't think MLB is in any danger when it comes to their crypto deal or anything like that. FTX is a, a very strong performing company, but I do wonder about the long term uh, fallout of crypto and sports if crypto continues to suffer over the next few months. But that's that. Guys, I got to run. Thank you for having me. I will have happily come back anytime and uh hopefully the Mets can dig their way out of this one tonight. Uh yeah, they're still down eight to one. But like I said, he brought up the crypto thing. Angels, how about angel investors? We got well, well, got uh the absolute the absolute travesty of the league right now. 
I think the worst thing that could happen in the league is the Angels being terrible. Uh, because uh, the Anaheim Angels last night hit seven home runs and lost a game to the bottom of the division, Oakland Athletics, uh, which was bad. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't see any future where the Angels are good. Uh, I hope those are words I do not come back to haunt me. But the losing the Angels trade of the way, Brandon Marsh and Noah Syndergaard, uh, they have nothing in their system to really offset that. Reed Detmers was a shining light and has become like good enough. Um, but basically it's Shohei Otani's show and everyone else is playing like the ensemble cast. Like and I, mean, that's, I still argue Patrick Sandoval is a decent pitcher, but you well, know, and he's on the and he's and he's on the hill tonight against Robbie Ray in the Mariners game. And that's going to start in about two, a little under two hours. Uh, but that's a that's a big big moment. Like you said, like what are they going to do? And obviously, the the thought of them, you know, trading Shohei Otani was flirted with, but I think an absolute mistake in its own right. But we'll see how that goes. But they got rid of Brandon Marsh. They still have one Marsh. They have Marsh. They have Walsh, not Marsh. Uh, and that team, but I want to see how that shakes out. I mean, but, the March trade was slightly costly for the Phillies, though. They gave up uh, one of their best catchers. Uh, granted, they have JT for the next few years, so it probably made sense to get rid of Logan O'Hope, but that's still a pretty big price. That's a big price. Um, but like the question is, like, the Angels have any prospects they're they're gonna like bring up, and I don't know. It's a good question. Smith is willing to if anything knows about that one. I don't really know about what's beyond the Angels in terms of like anything above the majors because they are so sad. Uh, that's 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 about right. <laughs> it's it's they're 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 forty four and sixty one going to this series, uh, and I think there was some random tweet that came out earlier today. Since the Mariners lost three of four against the Angels in June, the Mariners have obviously been doing great and the angels have done like the records are flipped i think one team has won 25 games their team has lost 25 games their team has lost 11 their team has won 11 and it's just it's like i said whatever's gonna happen there but that division obviously they have two teams at the bottom the oakland athletics and the other one and oakland um is led by all-star pete blackburn cool um he pitched last night and got the win in that eight seven kind of weird affair, but it's a uh, it's interesting to kind of play out what's happening with that division. Uh, but the other game that's about the 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 we're on kind of one that main of the central games, the Mil- the Milwaukee Brewers. I talked with Kazuki before we start recording this tonight, and I watched the ending of the Pirates Brewers game yesterday, the afternoon game. I don't, I think I saw exactly what the Brewers did not want the world to see. And that is our bullpen is vulnerable now. Uh, it was like they, Matt Bush got lit up by Brian Reynolds. And then they just literally just walked a bunch of players, and got a wild pitch games over. And the game before, uh, Williams did not perform well. And uh, we confirmed beforehand. Donaldson Lamette is not on the team. Like they, the Brewers gave up Josh Hader and basically got back Rogers. And the other good, the other major league pitcher is now on the Rockies. And it, whenever I don't know what the Rockies get a a pitcher that you just acquired, something's probably wrong. 
Something's probably very wrong. Wrong as in there's wrong with the pitcher or wrong with the trade? Uh, well, basically, the Rockies get the scraps around the league. Uh, that has been the case now for years. So, you know, yeah, not not what you want. I mean, they probably saw something in the medicals that scared them. And maybe they real. I, I mean, I, I can't tell you the last time I saw a pitcher that's in his RP years get DFA'd shortly after he was acquired. Like, what can you guys remember a time when, when that happened? No, not that I can recall. A, a pitcher of his, of that level of significance, no. Like, Dawson Lent is a significant pitcher. He was like a good bullpen piece and a, a piece of that pitching staff to begin with that was quite good. Like that, he, he came up, came over, and got DFA'd instantly. And that, again, I, I get what you're saying, Smith, as a warning sign of all warning signs. So we'll see what he matters to the Rockies. The Rockies are just, for how not good the Rockies are in terms of their record, man, are they fun to watch. Uh, Connor Joe, Ryan McMahon, Charlie Blackman, TJ Crone, like the real, the, the real Crone zone. I mean, those guys are just hitting the ball quite well quite well when they're when they're on they're on quite entertaining wise it's just an uh, aggressively below average team that's a good way they're an aggressively below average team and obviously chris bryan is on that team and he's quite right now injured uh but that team is good um they're good enough to win something they just haven't been doing everything and then obviously they have one of the they have a great closer and they call good starters and i think they're the better version of what the angels want to be in terms of like the structure of their team. Like the, like the Rockies have all the pieces to be good. They just aren't good. The angels have no pieces to be good other than like the one player who consistently is there. Anthony Rendon has been an absolute bust. And Mike Trout is so sadly and unfortunately hurt from whatever happens. Like the man has been banged up so much. It's kind of scary. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, quick check around the scores. It looks like the Yankees are on the board. Of course, you have a Josh Donaldson double. Uh, so that's interesting. That, that, that acquisition continues to pay dividends. Uh, it's on the top of the second uh, in that game. Uh, the- Donaldson's actually been quietly way below expectations. Yeah, yeah, see, that's an interesting point because he basically filled a hole that the team had after they made the trade where they sent the players to Minnesota. Um, yeah. That's an interesting way to look at it. He was like, this guy is good. I mean, when they when it, obviously the trade in Minnesota, they got Donaldson, they sent over Sanchez, and... Oh, wow, I'm escaping me. Who's it was uh, Rochella and... Sanchez, right? Donaldson, kind of Falefa, the catcher who is injured right now. Rorbell, yeah, who's in AAA. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that that was like an interesting majors for majors trade because Connor Falefa has been like you know pretty much in their most days, and then you have Donaldson who's quietly been what is, but the Twins upgraded at three positions essentially this in the offseason. They added Urshela, they added Sanchez. Upgrade is a questionable term there. But obviously, Carlos Correa was the big offseason get for them. And they're plowing ahead. They are in the AL Central. They are in the lead just over the Guardians, who are getting absolutely blasted by their Astros right now. 
Uh, and then the White Sox are getting, you know, hung up by the lowly Texas Rangers. So it's, it's not unheard of for this, that division to get super tight at the top, but, but all, most teams are all close to 500. When you look at the AL East, where we're centering our conversation for tonight, every team is almost over 500 except for the Red Sox. Uh, the Orioles game against the Pirates right now is in a delay, which is unfortunate because I'd love to talk more about that because the Orioles gave up the, I guess the heart and soul player of, of the year are always in, um, in Trey Mancini. Uh, but the Orioles have been hanging tough with everybody, which is quite fun to watch. Kazuki knows this from last year when we talked about this. The Orioles, again, kind of like the Rockies a little bit, are just fun to watch. I mean, the Orioles has got players that are just entertaining. Number one being Cedric Mullins. Uh, I, I could I could talk for hours about how much is a joy to watch him play. Um, and so it's a shame that this game is not going on right now. But the Orioles, again, fourth in the AL East, making a chase for the wild card is quite impressive considering you, where they've been. Do you think like, a, a great catcher could change a pitching staff that much overnight? Like Adley Rushman coming in. Oh, Adley, Adley Rushman is... The whole pitching staff like changed to a point that They've been above 500 since he came up. I don't know. I, 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 he's been, he was definitely a site that really added some, uh, some, a bright spot to them. So I'm, I'm really glad that they brought him up. I think the player this year to watch on that team who has been quite interesting is Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, just because he's been, he's like a big power hitter. And I don't think we know a lot about him yet. And we're kind of learning more about him. Adley Rutschman, I like to say, hopefully gets better. But that team is centered on Rutschman, Mountcastle, Santander, Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins. And then, well, I think they need to add a pitcher. If they get a, if they can add pitching, because it seems like that, that's where they were, they're lacking. Well, they got I a think, few guys on the way. Right, which is, which is, which is, right, which I think is the most interesting part about that team. They already have that built into the system. They got pitchers built in because uh, they have a good farm system. So I, I, I'm curious to see if, if they, how close they get to in the end to the, to the wild card. I'm not sure they will do it, but they're, they're two out right now against the Rays. I mean, like the, there's a, there is a firm possibility this year, which is kind of nuts that the Rays went from being like the best team to not making the playoffs. Um, and the team that could out, to get them out are the Orioles, the Guardians, or the White Sox right now, which is quite quite a startling statement to make. Uh, but the the White Sox right now, if I take a look at down the scoreboard, the White Sox are getting are down one nothing to the Rangers. So hopefully they pick it up. I think Dylan Cease is on the mound tonight for that game, and he's been quite good. Yeah, Dylan Cease is on the mound. Uh, if we look at the White Sox. Is this the first year we have a really healthy Michael Kopesh in a while? Yeah. yeah. Do we think he's living up to expectations so far? I mean, when he came in the draft, I mean, it was, we have the next 105 Monarch pitcher who could do pretty much anything else on the mound. Uh, but Dylan Cease has been, he's a two he's a 206 ERA uh, this far into the season. So I think there's a stat they threw up on MLB tonight right before he started tonight where he has the most strikeouts on non fastballs during the entire season. Um, yeah. Which is pretty incredible. So I, I'm impressed by that. Just because that's, that team has come together quite nicely. 
over the years. I mean, that lineup is, I'm looking down at right now. It's good. I mean, they have, they have potential. Everyone thinks they can make it every year. Um, but they also have got rid of a few players. So I'm curious to see what happens, but no one's, everyone's, like I said, everyone's chasing the twins. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, that's just a really bad division. And, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's, that's probably the worst division in baseball. No, that's a fair take. Because you break parity. It's just that everyone's so mediocre to below average that, you know, yeah. I I mean, the Twins would be the worst team to make the playoffs, even though they won their own division, right? Yeah, that that's that's true. I mean, it's uh, it's quite impressive to kind of live in that world. Uh, so we've been, up, we've been about with you guys for about an hour. So we'll, we'll close a few little topics here and we'll go through. So Smith, I know earlier in the week you had your Twitter, you had your conversation with everyone about the trade deadline. If you had to kind of inform us a little bit, what would you say are the team, the two teams that really benefit from the trade deadline and the two teams that didn't benefit from the trade deadline? Well, clearly number one is the Padres. I mean, any, of course, I mean, yes. Three huge trades. Yeah, I mean, when Brandon Drew is your smallest trade deadline acquisition, you're you're probably doing something right. Um, so that that's the clear winner. Another winner, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Mariners. Um, I mean, they they are smelling the playoffs for the first time in 20 plus years. This is the time to go all in. Luis Castillo is an ace. He's got another year of team control. Noel B. Marte is interesting, but I, I think the public is way more out in front of him than the rest of the industry is. I think industry expectations for him are a lot more tempered than the public consensus. So if he's the top prospect going their way, you have to make that happen. So Jared Poto, obviously very trigger happy, but I think in a good way this time. And I think they're primed to make the playoffs now because of that. So I, I think those two teams did great. I think the two losers... You know, like the very obvious one for me is the White Sox. Um, if they're trying to make the playoffs and they're all in to the point where they have, I, I think they might have the worst farm system in baseball, but you have to find ways to get guys like the Braves did last year. Like, even if you have the worst farm system in baseball, you can get guys like Andy Rosario or the Jorge Soler equivalents that are on rentals. And to only get Jake Diekman for a team that is so top heavy a complete whiff, in my opinion. Uh, another team is the Red Sox. That would be. The oh team. yeah, the Red I Sox. Mean, what they did was just—it was confounding. It the was way confounding. that they. It was. It was confounding because not only did we think that, but the manager pretty much came out and said the same thing. Like he's not going to say that, but he more or less did. What makes no sense to me is like. Tommy Pham is in a walk here. He's going to be free agent after this year. It's fine if you're trading for him without trading anyone else, but why are you then flipping Christian Vasquez, right? Oh, that was embarrassing. I'll be very frank with you. To watch that unfold on the field in Houston was embarrassing. Uh, I know Kazuki and I often praise the front office of the Red Sox, but that was embarrassing. It It just looked bad uh, optically it looked bad yeah uh, I, I mean this is like i like to call it race typical race bullshit um which i mean high bloom did come from the race so maybe that explains it but i just 
I can't see how the Red Sox fans support that. I mean, Christian Vasquez was one of the fan favorites over there. I know that they're a sucky team, but you can justify trading away Christian Vasquez, but then to then get Tommy Pham, who's also in a walk here, it really made no sense. So it was a confounding deadline for them. And I think, you know, this is one of the few times where I think the public and industry consensus was the same on that one, which is, you know, again, very rare. Yeah. Uh, Kazuki, I'll give you a chance. What, what do you think of the trade deadline? What are your, you said things that went well, things that didn't went well. And then I'll, 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 I'll end the topic on that and then we'll move on something else to close out the show. I mean, very similar to uh, Smith, right? I mean, I, I thought um, Padres clearly was a winner because, like, you know, their prospects, like, you know, are top-heavy, and it's not, like, the best, like, you know, prospect out there to trade for. And so, and they got one soda for them. So, good for them. Mariners, I was slightly mixed when I talked to you a little bit before this podcast because, um, for me, it's not about uh, Marte as much because Marte is not a shortstop. He's going to be a third baseman. It's more with uh, Arroyo that I think giving him and Marte up was kind of heavy, but but then again, if you look at the rotation situation for the Mariners, George Kirby's gonna gonna be on an innings limit, and Logan Gilbert. Logan Gilbert, we know, is on a very clear innings limit according to Scott Service. Um, so they needed somebody. Yeah, Marco Gonzalez, who you know is like you know a dud here and there. So you kind of needed someone to solidify that. And Robbie Ray's been inconsistent to say the least, and Inflexon's been an interesting case study. So you needed someone who could uh, clearly come in every fifth fifth or sixth day to clear that rotation in and you know rest that bullpen up so that was a huge win for them there um you know for the most part i think brewers hater trade was kind of confusing to me uh, honestly just because um i think i get why they traded away hater because of the arbitration was going to be really high but the pieces they got it's just okay return for me but i don't know if you guys think it's not correct that's fine but I don't know. I think Brewers are kind of in the middle. Same with the Giants. Like, like why couldn't they like trade Carlos Rodon or uh, Jock Peterson? I get they're not too far out from the wild card race, but they seem clearly they're going to decline even more. And, you know, Rodon's kind of a risky bet to keep. I mean, I know he has that opt-out and he could opt-out if he's going to be continually this good this year. And I don't think they could retain them. So, I don't know. I feel like they should have just traded, uh, started to be a seller instead of just uh, holding. Uh, I'll bring up the one team that we have. Uh, Smith alluded to it, and I think we all agree with it. The, with the Braves with the trade deadline, you always have to watch. It's like, what are they doing? And I think this year they did it again. They added just little pieces that could mean a lot down the road. Uh, Robbie Grossman they added. And they didn't give, a, give up a whole lot. Uh, and I think they're like the model now for like how you add like pieces that are insignificant elsewhere, but significant to us in our own little way. Uh, so I think the Braves are a team to watch and the Phillies, uh, I think adding Noah Syndergaard, whoever, whoever, how healthy or whoever form he is in and Brandon Marsh to that team, the granted, they did give up a significant piece in the, in the farm system. That division is a lot tighter now than probably it was a week ago. And we all knew where he knew it was quite tight because we know that the nationals and the Marlins are probably not going to compete for playoff position. But when there were three open positions for the playoffs and and the wild card because we are it's going to be like so if one of these teams makes it to the top in the NL East like what are the other two teams going to happen and right now we know that it's basically the Cardinals and the Brewers 
in the Central and it's the Padres and the Dodgers. And so to have that, if we want to, you know, throw other teams into that, that mix, I think the NL East really is, again, a division to watch. Uh, so, and then we'll close out our, our wonderful first Twitter Spaces show. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for joining uh, with the weekend ahead. So the weekend ahead, we have obviously some significant series. Uh, if you had to pick a series from this weekend to really hone in on, really pay attention to, we know that probably the first choice is going to be the Padres and the Dodgers. If you're looking at just the landscape of series to watch, what series you're watching, if any particular players you're watching for the, for the series ahead. Smith, I'll go back to you as number one. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you have to look at the Mets and, and Braves and given how it's a five game series with division implications, the Braves, if they go on a torch streak could absolutely put the fear of God into the Mets in this division. I know the Mets don't want to give up this lead, especially when it was like, I think it was 10 games at one point in May. So that's going to be a big series if the, if the Braves can make a statement there. Um, I mean, honestly, I, I think that's, I mean, I guess the Yankees and Cardinals is an interesting one. That's just two historic teams going at it right there. They don't really go at it all that much. I would say beyond the Padres and Dodgers, those are probably the two series I'm keeping an eye on. That's not even a New York five. It's just. No, no, it's, it's got, it has significance now. I mean, you've brought up several times. It has like when when the Braves put 10 years behind Austin Riley and also, you know, they kind of got another play, got Matt Olson, you know, there too. And then you just, you know, get little bits and bites over the trade deadline. The team's great. Like they're going to put the, the fear of God in you. And they also have five games against the, the Mets yeah. from Thursday to Sunday. So that's another thing. Kazuki, any series that you're looking at uh, or players to watch out for this weekend? Um, honestly, uh, Smith really nailed it. For me, it, w- it would have been the Mets and the Braves because Braves could you know, sweep them and they could be really close to that division lead, right? And they don't have to even worry about wild card at that point. Uh, for me, the other one I'm looking at is also you know, the bottom feeders kind of taking out the playoff contenders, right? Right. Was the Reds and the Brewers, like, you know, Cardinals, like if they do well in this series, I doubt they'll beat the Yankees, but um, if they can, right, they could take some uh, leads away from the Brewers. Uh, and the other one I would look at more, uh, I mean, for us, you know, as Mariners fan watching the Angels, because Angels have been a bit, bit of a thorn in the playoff ambition since last year against the, for the Mariners. So, you know, the Mariners have a five-game series there, so they have to keep up because otherwise, you know, the Rays and the Blue Jays, they could, uh, you know, catch up. Same with the Guardians. They're not that far behind the wild card race, so they need to really keep pace. So I think those are the games I will look at as well. And Kazuki, yeah, you, you led me to the great way to end this. The, the series I'm watching is, is Houston Astros and Cleveland Guardians. The Guardians are good. They have a chance to really make a dent if, to, to really get for, keep moving forward but they're up against the best team in, in the AL other than the Yankees pretty much. So can they make any move? Can they do anything? Got three big games and they continue into that. Um, so I, that's my thing, but uh, we'll end on this. And uh, I, I, I welcome everyone's comment this past week. We obviously lost Vin Scully. Vin Scully is the, the archetype for the modern broadcast. There's no way to put it around that. And I began the show with the way he began every Godrich broadcast 
which is a very, it was a very pleasant good evening to you. Welcome to Dodger baseball. We'd welcome to sign our baseball. And tonight he'll be honored at home at, at Dodger Stadium, and rightfully so. Uh, the best memory I have of Vince Scully is the one that Adam Amin has brought up, and a lot of Dodgers fans. Uh, when Vince Scully became the TV voice of the Dodgers, the Dodgers made the conscious decision for several years to broadcast Vin over a radio broadcast for three innings. And you would hear stories about people running to the radio if they couldn't be near a TV, like turning their car on, turning on the Dodgers game, listening to three innings, and they would turn the game off because that's what mattered is you needed to have your good night story. You needed to have someone tuck you into bed at night and you needed Vin to tuck you into bed at night. And that's why I think the best story is really us East Coasters. 10, 10 p.m., you turned on your rate, you're turning your satellite radio, you turn on your MLB.com, MLB app, 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 and you hit the Dodgers broadcast wherever they were, and it was Vin Scully. And I think that's, that's how I will always remember him fondly, other than the amazing calls, the Hank Aaron call, the Kirk Gibson call. Like that's, that's what he means to me. And we'll close out with Kazuki and Smith's thoughts on what Vin Scully meant to them as baseball fans. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible because I think a lot of the people that are announcing games in baseball now took inspiration from older announcers who took inspiration from Vince Scully. You know, Vince Scully is essentially the catalyst for sports sports broadcasting in professional sports around the world. You know, a lot of the announcers that we know and love today are direct results of being inspired by Vince Scully. But Vince Scully is the reason why I think so many outlets have been created for sports broadcasting and podcasts because there are just some of those voices that we love listening to. And Vince Scully really opened our eyes to just how impactful someone can be when voicing a game. And not even that, but just his ability to broadcast in general. You know, he could have he could have easily been a news broadcaster. He could have been a political commentator. He could have done anything he wanted, but he chose sports. And he made so many incredible memories for us that we'll all appreciate. And but, you know, obviously that that Kurt Gibson call is gonna be, I think, probably the most famous one, the Bill Buckner one, where it goes in between his legs. I think you'll have a lot of Mets fans say that's the most famous call of all time. But, you know, whatever call you're talking about, it's probably Vin Scully has the top five calls in all of baseball history. Just looking at it from that perspective alone, beyond the impact that he's had on modern day broadcasting, I think is just incredible. Um, you know, and, and on top of that, he was so kind and generous with his time. He would talk to anyone as if he was friends with them already, no matter what, what their social pedigree was. So just the consummate human being on top of being this impactful person that influenced this, this industry. Right. And, and now, Kazuki, our, our resident L.A. native, uh, you get to close out the show on this one. Oh, man, this is tough. You guys already nailed every point that I wanted to talk about. I mean. I still remember his uh, call in uh, 06 uh, when they were down against the Padres. And I remember the consecutive, four consecutive home runs by 
um, Nomar, uh, Russell Martin, and uh, Andre Ethier. That comeback in his call there has been amazing. I mean, I think for me, besides all the points, the longevity of how long he was able to broadcast the game into his old age, I think was something that's really extraordinary. Like doing it for like around like half a century, right? Worth of like calling these games out. Um, it's just incredible. And being able to like leave a mark towards like not people, not just baseball fans alone, but people in the city of Los Angeles, in the state of California, like that's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, and with that, ladies and gentlemen, we, we hope you do have a very pleasant good evening. And thank you all for joining us on our first Twitter Spaces show. Smith, thank you very much for hopping on with us and spending about an hour with us. Justin, earlier, we hope to do this again soon. And if we're lucky enough, if you made it this far, you may have heard it on our, on our podcast feed. Remember to follow us on social media at Sinar B-B-A-L-L. Uh, I'm at the airline guy. Kazuki is at Kazuki Akiba. Smith is at Smith. What's your social handle? I'm pretty sure it's Smith Brickner, all one word. But. Smith Brickner, all one word. Uh, and we'll hope to see you all again real soon. Thank you all very, very much. And have a very pleasant good evening. That's it for this episode of Center Baseball. This episode of Center Baseball is hosted and produced by me, Kazuki Akiba, and Brandon Beiser. This episode was edited by Kazuki Akiba with additional research by Brandon Beiser. Our theme song is by Kay Margus. Center Baseball is a production of Daylight and Media 3 Limited. We'll be back with another episode. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast as more people will know about this show. Go to daylightinteractive.com to see some exclusive updates and more about our upcoming shows. I'm Kazuki Akiba. And I'm Brandon Beiser. And this has been Sound Our Baseball.